All right. Hey, everybody. What's up? Hey, uh, thanks for hitting play once again on the Praxis podcast. You've done it again. You've hit play on whatever device or application. Do we call them applications? I think they're called apps. Um, You've hit play. So again, well done. Um, Just so excited that you're listening along as we journey through some of the most, what we feel are the most important questions facing our moment today uh, in this series called From Redemption to Recycling. And uh, we're just so thrilled you're listening. Now, here's the deal. On Sunday, we had an incredible gathering at Praxis in uh, in our morning gathering. I promise you I can talk. I can speak English. In our morning gathering on Sunday, we had child dedications and just a great morning. We had a big party after to welcome new people to the community. It was great. But one of the things we do every so often, about once a quarter, is we give our kids and youth workers a little bit of a break because we're absolutely amazing. I know, I know. And uh, they do such a great job, by the way, all these people serving in our kids and youth uh, ministry. And we just have the whole church family in together. So we did that on Sunday. And we had the child dedications, a little break in between for people to connect. And on these mornings, our teaching is a little more reflective and it's shorter because obviously with kids and youth in, um, that's just kind of the way we roll about once a quarter. So we didn't uh, really in- we didn't really record Sunday morning because we knew as we began to talk a little bit on Sunday that we would want to do a midweek podcast that was in more detail. And so here we are. This is it. Um, This week, we're going to be talking in this series about prayer, about prayer. And actually, one of the things we're doing right now is we are right in the middle of prayer and fasting as a community. And so uh, what we're doing is taking each day to uh, pray and reflect and lean in a little bit on different things that we're praying for from our government officials to teachers and educators to students and so on. And then we're ending this week by fasting and taking a day to fast together. I'll say this. So we talked about prayer, by the way, on Sunday. Uh, Some of what we talked in that short teaching will be here, but this is, we're actually going to cultivate this and develop this way further. So this is the teaching for this week. We're not posting or, or releasing what we talked about Sunday because this is basically it plus a lot more. But I'll just say this. Some of you are thinking, um, you know, we're talking about Controversial things. We're talking about things like hell. Social justice has been somewhat of a, uh, in some circles, a controversial thing. I mean, next week we're going to be talking about this. This coming Sunday, sorry, we'll be talking about a creation, evolution, and science. These are controversial things. We're going to talk about sex and money and power in October. Uh, around the election, we're going to talk about power and politics. In November, we're going to talk about creation care. I don't know if you've been like uh, living under a rock, but if you haven't, you obviously know this idea of climate change and creation care has kind of come to the forefront and what a timely thing. We're going to talk about predestination, uh, Me Too stuff later on in November. So there's a lot of things and you're probably thinking, what the, like prayer, that's not, prayer isn't really that controversial, but here's the thing, as a pastor dude, I find that a lot of people have questions about prayer and it connects actually to things like hell. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Or things like social justice. I believe what we're going to talk about when it comes to prayer is connected to that. I also think what we're going to talk as we talk about prayer here connects deeply to how we view sovereignty and predestination and election. 
Because one of the things a lot of people ask is, does prayer really do anything? Um, I, I know a lot of people, they come with this question, they're kind of jaded around the idea of prayer. And one of the questions around it is, does it really do, what does prayer do? Does it really do anything? And especially if you come from a perspective and it's going to push our theology a little, if you believe everything's fixed and predetermined, then what's the point? This is what a lot of people, they've been fed a theology that says before the foundation of the earth, everything was predetermined, everything is fixed, you're predestined. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's great because you're going to end up in heaven, but everybody else who wasn't chosen is going to end up in hell. And so this messes with people a little bit because it just, when we come around this idea of prayer, a lot of people feel like their prayer doesn't change anything. And I hate to get like the cat out of the bag right away, but if you've been around us at all for like a breathing second, our community, you know that I just, we just do not buy that. I, I mean, I'm already getting into the bulk of the, what we really believe, but I'm here and we're here to actually um, push and invite our community into the reality that our prayer does matter. And we're going to talk about this. Okay. And so as we, as people ask, does prayer really do anything? Let's ask this question. A really famous author, a really famous author, his name is Julian Barnes, started his infamous book, Nothing to be Frightened of, by saying this. This is what he said. I quote, he said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. What's interesting is I actually think in Barnes' really raw, really um, honest reflection here is the reality that all of us are hardwired for God. All of us. And one of the things we want to talk about is uh, I want to look at the Lord's Prayer a little bit as a directive for us in how Jesus teaches us to pray. But also, I think there's theology here in what it means for us to be connected to the living God. Because here's the thing, if I were to ask you, and I'm talking to myself, our whole community, if I were just to say, how many of you are praying way too much? I know my hand wouldn't go up. And I know there'd be a lot of hands probably not in the air on this one. And yet prayer is this crucial thing in connection with God and and cultivating a life with God. It's interesting, even a 2004 study said that 30% of atheists say they pray sometimes. And so no matter where you're at with God, it's interesting that prayer is actually the thing that shows us how we view God. Prayer is the thing that determines whether you or I actually believe that God is a relational being, right? I'll put it like this. Prayer, in many ways, indicates where our allegiance lies. Because if we're in relationship with the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, and he's given us this ability to commune with him through this thing called prayer, I think it's important that we talk about it and we commune with him. Great theologian J.I. Packer put it like this. He said, knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one. 
and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it were not so. What Packard is saying here, Packard, what he's saying here is that this is about relationship with God. It's about knowing God, not just knowing facts about him, but knowing him. And the classic example of this, probably you've heard a preacher, dude or gal, to teach about, you know, it's, you know, they'll use their husband or wife if they're married. It's different knowing facts about somebody than actually knowing them. But it's actually, I know that's kind of cliche, but it's so true. Tim Keller would say this. He says, prayer is the continual, sorry, prayer is a, prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God has started. He started it when he implanted knowledge of himself in every human being. When he spoke through the prophets and in his written word, and especially when he called us to himself through the Holy Spirit sent into our hearts. The reality is, is the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation lead us and show us all sorts of people that practice communing with God through prayer. Abraham, outside the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, is actually bartering with God. You get this picture in Genesis. I just read this story with my daughter a little while ago. And Abraham pleads for the city. He he literally pleads to change God's mind. A guy named Daniel was caught up in this idea of fixed hour prayer, turning towards Jerusalem as he was a Jew in exile in Babylon under a a king named Nebuchadnezzar in his reign. And he would pray uh, to God daily on fixed hours. You have Nehemiah who literally, before he builds the city and rebuilds the city and as part of rebuilding the temple, he weeps and he prays for the city. And so, Prayer is essential essential in the life of somebody who follows Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to cultivate and we got to be real and honest about that. But this is the thing that identifies whether or not we believe God's relational. Because if he is, we'll talk to him. And so... There's, you know, there's all sorts of texts about prayer and stories, as I've already showed. What I want to do, though, is look at really what Jesus says about prayer. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually teaches us how to pray. And it's more simple and more beautiful, I think, than a lot of people know. And then there's also key points in here that I want to drill down on. I just want to take us through the uh, through his teaching about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to drill down on a couple things that I think are important in what it means for God's will to be done. So Matthew 6, this is where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible and you want to flip it on, that's great. For some of you, that'd be tragic because you're driving your car, or you're jogging, you're, you're spinning on a bike or something, um, or you're doing the dishes. Anybody listen to podcasts when you do the dishes? I love doing the dishes, but I also love listening to things when I do the dishes. It's just a thing. So that may be some of you too. My people, you're out there. I know it. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, and verse 5, and when you pray, when you pray. Again, Jesus' expectation is that those who have come under his rule and reign as disciples and apprentices, their life will be filled with prayer. He says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then he says this, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This is amazing what Jesus does here. 
because not only does he say when you pray, he talks about the hypocrites. Now, we'll just need to pause here and say that hypocrites to us is always in our mind, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another, right? Doesn't live up to what they're showing or saying. That's a hypocrite. It's hypocritical. But you got to understand in the first century and who the audience that Jesus is talking to, hypocrites to them were actually street actors, That was the name of people who would literally act out on the street and would gain a crowd. That was a hypocrite. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, do not be like them. Don't be looking for the street corner or the show or trying to show off and getting people to see you. Do not be like the hypocrites. But here's the thing. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus gives here a juxtaposition of rewards. What does he say? Truly, I tell you, they, those who stand on the street corner want everybody to see them praying and looking so holy and righteous and amazing. And I, we, also, we know probably Jesus has the Pharisees in mind. He's talking about rewards here. What does he say about those people that get the attention in their prayer? What have they received? Their reward in full. I love this because people of the kingdom and people who are going to live simply and follow Jesus, our reward isn't necessarily in the here and now. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying about these hypocrites, they'll get on the street corners and guess what? They're going to get a pat on the back now. Well done. Whoa, you look amazing, boy. Your prayer sounds really fantastic. But Jesus is the continual call as he kind of contrasts rewards in his teaching is that those that are faithful to him, you will be rewarded And it may not feel like you're rewarded right now, but you will be rewarded in the age to come. Those, there's going to be people, all sorts of people that are going to get the reward. Now, some of us have to wrestle with when do we want a reward? Do we want our reward in the here and now from people and the applause of people? Or when Jesus comes to renew all things and set the worlds to rights, world to rights and judges that he he's calling us that follow him into a life that would be rewarded then. And I'm not saying there's not necessarily rewards now, but it's interesting. The scathing report of the hypocrite is, hey, yeah, they got a little, right? A little clap, a little golf clap from everybody. Wow, aren't you amazing? Jesus is saying, listen, a new kind of way of communion with God doesn't necessarily mean people are going to see you, but I believe rewards are coming. Matthew 6 continues and says this, verse 6, but when you pray, go, and Jesus says it there again, by the way, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus says, okay, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Here's what you do. You do this in quiet. And again, the contrasting of rewards. Do not babble like the pagans. If you know anything about pagan religions and even in the pantheon of the Greco-Roman empire, oftentimes people, it's so upside down to the gospel. In the ancient world, in the pantheon, you would try and get the attentions of the gods in the pantheon. The ancient Mesopotamian worship worshipped all sorts of gods. And one of the things you were trying to do is to get their attention. But the gospel is completely opposite. Jesus says, when you pray, do it in quiet and stop babbling. Stop babbling on. Um, but 
come to God with purity, in quietness, do this in secret. In many ways, we're called to do this life in communion with God in prayer in secret. It's interesting that Jesus says, they think they will be heard of their many words. And yet Jesus says, listen, I know what you're going to ask for. God knows what you're going to ask for even before you ask it. So that's Jesus setting the stage. Do this in quiet. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't Babylon. Come to come to the Father simply. This idea of communion with God. And then Jesus begins to teach us something that's really infamous to us, really, really known. It's very familiar to us, and it's known as the Lord's Prayer. You may or may not know this, but in Jesus' time, the Lord's Prayer is actually a culmination of a number of Jewish prayers that have come together. Jesus takes tangible things in the Jewish community and puts it together. What's often lost is that the Lord's Prayer is some of the easily some of the most recognizable words in human history, Right? Some of us forget that you you may have grandparents where in public school, freaking public school friends, they would sing the national anthem and they would say the Lord's Prayer. These are some of the most spoken collective words, especially in the Western world, in human, all across the world, in human history. These words are very, very familiar. Now, the issue is when something is familiar, you all know it, sometimes it can lose its power. When things become familiar, we can be unaware of the power and even in this case, the simplicity of what Jesus is asking us. Because you just kind of, you can, for many of us, we just rhyme it off. Our Father who art in heaven and so on and so forth, right? You know, uh, familiarity is an interesting thing. I remember when I was dating Heather, um, she was living with her folks in Sarnia, Ontario, which is like an hour up the road on the 402. So I would visit her often while she was in school and living at home. And I remember multiple times where just in the pace of life and us dating and all sorts of stuff going on in our lives, that I would get in the car and drive down the 402 to Sarnia. And at the end of it, honestly, I'd I'd step in the house and I would realize, I wouldn't even realize how I got there. And I think some of you have had this experience before where you just end up somewhere, something becomes so familiar, you almost become unaware of how you even got there. And I think that is that can play with this particular prayer for many of us. What I want to do is I want to look at it afresh because it speaks of not only, I think, a model and how we can pray, we can pray like Jesus, but I also think it speaks of what is happening in the world and how there's a call for us as people who follow Jesus to contend. There's a contending call here. So Jesus starts and says this, Again, he talks about the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't stand on the street corners, but go to, go to a quiet place and come to the Father. And then he says, this, this is how you're to pray. Our Father, our Father. Now think about it for a second. If you're on your own and Jesus has just said, hey, in, go to that quiet place, go to your closet, you know, the classic evangelical, go to your prayer, prayer closet, man, whatever a prayer closet is. If you're on your own and Jesus is instructing us here to pray, don't you think you would pray my father, right? That's not what it says. Jesus says, pray our father. The reason for this is because as soon as you enter into the way of Jesus, your autonomy is gone. Even when you're an individual, you're still called to pray our father kind of prayers. You got to remember that the Lord's prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about 
the new community, the new society of Jesus followers. And the reality is, is that when we come to Jesus, we lose our autonomy, even to the depths of our prayers being changed. It's not just about me, but even when I go to that quiet place and I pray, I'm joining in with people all over the place that follow the way of Jesus and follow Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength. My prayers, and this is what Jesus is, I think, leading us to, are a part of something bigger in the world. And I think as soon as you and I start praying our Father kind of prayers, you no longer become the center of the universe. It's interesting, Jesus starts with our Father. It's no longer about me and my little kingdom. This is about joining so many around the world. We are a community of people, even if we're individuals and even if we're praying individually, we pray our Father. Now it's interesting, Abba, Father, the only time that Jesus didn't refer to God as Father, he does it here, but the only time he doesn't is when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why, are you, why have you forsaken me? So it's crazy the kind of imagination Jesus is getting us to think with because as he talks about communion with God, he talks about God as Father, which would have been unthinkable, right? So like even the pious Jewish community wouldn't even write the name of God out of reverence. So think about it when this Jewish Messiah comes along and he's actually inviting people to come to God and call him father. Like on the page, Jews would be, basically what they would write is G-D instead of writing God. And here Jesus comes along and he's like, yo, father, come to your, come to your father. Some theologians would say a, a way a child, the, 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 the idea of the words that are used here is a way a child addresses his father. And so the reality is you and I, I don't know where you're at uh, with your earthly father. I'm blessed. I have an amazing dad. But I, I, I'm bumping into people all, all the time in our community and around that that may not be their story. And the reality is, is at the beginning of the way in which Jesus teaches us to pray, he reminds us that we have a father in heaven who loves us and wants us to come to him as father crazy subversive stuff our father then jesus says our father hallowed be your name hallowed be your name so what does this mean right in the 21st century modern world what the heck does that mean well i think eugene peterson put it best when he translates this father reveal who you are somebody else said that this idea of hallowed be your name is to ask for god's name to be made holy So when we pray, God, hallowed be your name, what we're doing is I think we're asking what Martin Luther would say. We're asking to have God's name put on us. That's what we're praying. Ultimately, the call of people who follow God and follow Jesus is the call to carry the name of God into the world. And this is really what what we pray when we pray, hallowed be your name, We're asking God to place his name on us as we carry it into the world. You know, oftentimes we think of taking the Lord's name in vain as like swearing, right? And we hear this and people use, you know, Jesus' name in all sorts of ways. 
And while I'm not saying we should do that, I don't think we should do that, I'm not necessarily sure that that's exactly what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. You know, it's interesting. I think we've whittled down in our culture, especially in our world, to if you say Jesus Christ in a certain way that's negative, that that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And again, I'm, I, I don't think we should do that. But it's taking the Lord's name in vain is not as much swearing as it is. Taking the Lord's name is not as much swearing as it is not living like we're marked by God if we follow Jesus. Actually, for people who follow Jesus, it has to do with your action. That's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. When I don't live into what it means to follow Jesus with word and deed, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And so we've kind of whittled it down to if you say Jesus' name negatively, I think it's far, far deeper. Hallowed be your name. We have God's name on us, and we are not to take that in vain. Then Jesus says this, and this is where I want to drill down, and I think this is where all the pieces come together in does our prayer actually matter? Because Jesus says, your kingdom come, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The call, as Jesus teaches us to pray, is we pray that God's kingdom would, and his will, his kingdom would come and his will would be done where? Here on earth. Now, if we're praying, and this is, we gotta, we have to think through this, okay? If we are praying that God's will is done, here as it is in heaven. What does this mean? I just want everybody, all of us to think through, what does this mean? My question would be, is God's will being done? We need to think through this. Is everything God's will? Right? I'm more convinced now than ever that believing everything is God's will in our current moment is one of the most dangerous theologies and ideologies anyone could adopt. Because the entire story becomes unraveled. Think about it. Jesus is asking us to pray that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means, brothers and sisters, that there are counter wills at play. And I'll just say this. Sometimes people, and there's Christians, that want to attribute everything as God's will. And can I just say, there are counter wills at play in our city and in our world. And we have to think through, if Jesus is going to ask us to pray that his will would be done here, that changes everything because one thing we do is we join in and contend with him that his will would be done and it means that there's anti-wills. There are wills that come against evil, injustice, everything we've talked about, you know, we've talked about social justice, the current reality of hell in our present world The reality is, is that Jesus asked us to pray that his will would be done here because those things are real and those things are not God's will. And so this opens up the imagination, my, at least my imagination, I don't know where you're at, when it comes to prayer and how it all fits into all of this. I think Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian, he put it best when he said this. He said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I love that. To clasp the hand to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. One of the things that we do and we contend and we join in and we ask God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is we are joining in against we're rebelling. If you're a rebel, 
one of the best things you can do is you can join in in praying because one of the things that does is it pushes against the disorder of the world. And so I'm concerned sometimes when I when I hear people th- kind of say and think that everything is fixed. Because if everything's fixed, then why pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven if it's already fixed anyways and what's going to happen is going to happen. I just do not believe it. If everything is fixed or predestined or foreordained, then why pray for God's kingdom to come? The central thing in the Lord's prayer, why would we do that if everything is just going to, you know, it's kind of like fatalistic. Everything's just going to happen the way it's going to happen. I believe that there's something better here for us than just that. There are counter wills at play in our world. Evil is at hand. And one of the things we do when we join in, uh, in prayer, yes, we use our hands and our feet and we talked about social justice and we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but we also contend in our prayer, intercession, contending that God's will will be done. And here's the thing, as this hits the ground, I just want to be brutally honest. I meet a lot of people and there, I would imagine there's a lot of us listening and I've been like this too. A lot of us believe our prayer does not matter because we believe everything is fixed and what's going to happen is going to happen. And a lot of us honestly just believe because everything's going to happen the way it's going to happen that nothing can change. But again, I just want to ask, I know I'm laboring here a bit. Why would Jesus ask us to contend and pray that his will would be done here? Why would he do that? Here's why I think, and there's other cases and studies and examples of this in the New Testament and especially the Gospels. I think he asks us to do this because there is possibility in our prayer. There is possibility in our prayer. I don't believe everything's fixed. I believe our prayer changes things. I believe prayer matters. Just as Abraham and many others throughout scripture have come to the Father, pleading even at times for him to change his mind, I believe prayer prayer changes things. I don't believe this is static. I believe that God has called us into a life of contending that his will would be done here. And this fits into things like the social justice discussion, because as I said, I often feel homeless with the the social uh, social justice discussion, because on the one side you have people, typically conservative folk, that are kind of uh, skeptical of social justice and skeptical of that. Then you have people that are more progressive. And honestly, there's just a lot of people I know that want to try and do all this really amazing stuff in our current moment without the king, without King Jesus. They kind of they kind of want the kingdom. They want what are the promises of the kingdom of God, but they want it without the king. And one of the things I notice is that is very evident when there is a lack of contending in prayer. Come on, guys. Do we really think that we can just do it all just by our action? Look at the enormity of a divided world, of poverty, injustice, all things. Do you you honestly think we can just do that by just doing stuff with our hands on its own? I am just not bought into that reality. I am passionate, and we've talked even last week, I'm passionate about social justice and justice, biblical justice. But I think a, a, a strong part of this is joining in and understanding I cannot fix the problem on my own. It takes contending. It takes pleading and coming to God in intercession, 
believing that his will can be done and asking that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Heather and I and our family are passionate about uh, missions. We're passionate about our own neighborhood. We're passionate about a number of social justice projects. But a lot of times um, in this discussion, we kind of feel homeless because there's a lack of joining God and there's a lack of contention in that. We just want to better our neighborhoods. We can't do it without the king. And Jesus leads us here to pray that God's will be done here as it is in heaven. And I think it fits into the social justice discussion and the hell discussion because I think hell is a present reality. And I am just not yet going to, I am not yet going to, I just wouldn't lead us to believe everything is fixed. I believe prayer matters. And I believe there are case studies throughout the scripture where God's hand changed. God's hand changed. Now, we're at a point here where it's interesting. Jesus teaches us how to pray. I hope you're hanging with me, but I'm just super passionate about this. Um, I just believe prayer, it it matters. Um, But it's interesting in this whole discussion and the way that Jesus leads us to pray, there's been no asking for stuff yet. You know, isn't that crazy? No asking anything like no prayer requests yet. No asking for needs or brother Bob's knee or aunt Sally's whatever, you know, there's none of that yet. And it's interesting because I think a lot of us, when we pray, we only come to God when we need something or there's chaos. And yet Jesus hasn't even gotten to like asking for stuff outside of his will to be done until now. And he gets into it. Verse 11, he says this, pray like this, give us our daily bread. Verse 11, which is a prayer of provision. One person said here that daily bread is actually a metaphor in that time for necessities rather than luxuries. So it's interesting as we're called to pray, give us our daily bread, that there's social dimensions to prayer. We're praying when we pray this, that God would bring a just society. So when we pray, God give us our daily bread, we're actually praying against things like exploitation in business. We're praying against bad trade and labor that crushes the poor and deprives them of their daily bread. When we pray, God, give us our daily bread, it's deeper than just, hey, help me not to be hungry. You know, there's the necessity of food, but it goes deeper than that. We're praying for a just society. Then he goes on, verse 12, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we're to call to pray for forgiveness. Here's the thing. We can't separate God and others. We want to do this. We want to separate how we treat or worship God and then how we treat others. And I've just seen, and you know, being in community now for a long time, you know, it's interesting. God's call is as much to others in many ways as it is to himself. Certainly there's the call to follow him, but the treatment of brothers and sisters and forgiveness. And because we're forgiven now, the call is, is that we forgive each other and we forgive others. We act like God. Martin Luther put it like this. I know some Martin Luther quotes. Who would have thought? Um, Anyways, he says this. If anyone insists on his own goodness and despises others, let him look into himself uh, when this petition confronts him. He will find that he is no better than others and that in the presence of God, everyone must duck his head and come into the joy of forgiveness only through the low door of humility. Jesus... I mean, what a beautiful quote, but I just think that this, Jesus always linked our relationships with God 
to our relationships with others. I mean, just you keep going. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Then he says this, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a call to pray for the journey ahead. As one theologian says, to pray that we don't entertain or consider the prospects of giving in to sin. The call is, is to actually pray to res- for the ability to resist evil. Just as Jesus was tempted and he was able to resist, we're actually called because we know there's all sorts of things going on in the spiritual realm, things that want to suck our attention and lead us away, and we pray for this ability to resist evil. So just a little recap of how Jesus leads us in this. As Jesus teaches us to pray, one, he says, come to God as Father. We come to God as Father. And then, and this is how I would sum it up, we pray that as God is holy, we would be holy. We pray that God's will would be done in the here and now. We pray for a just society. We pray for forgiveness and the ability to forgive others. And we pray for the ability to resist evil. I think this is a beautiful model, actually, because it's the Jesus way of praying that we join in. This is for us in how we come to the Father. And I think, actually, of anything we should drill down on, I think this is it. This is is the way that Jesus leads us to pray, and I think we should grab hold of it. So the question, again, and this may not seem super controversial to you, but does our prayer actually do stuff? Just want to take a couple minutes as we close and talk about this again. Does our prayer actually do stuff? Well, first of all, I'll say this. Prayer, first and foremost, is about communion with God. It's about communion with God. I always ask the question, we should ask this question, I think. Are you on speaking terms with God? Because prayer is the thing that actually indicates whether we believe he's relational or not. Are you on speaking terms with God? Prayer is first and foremost about communion with him. And so one of the things that's often lost, I think, especially in the contemporary Western church, is the rhythm of fixed hour prayer. One of the things that practice we've been over the last few years really put inviting, I always want to say pushing, but inviting people to is actual fixed hour prayer. It's called the daily office where every morning, midday, like noontime and evening, we would take time to set aside time to pray. 10, 15 minutes at a time for contemplative prayer and coming to the Father. This is a practice that uh, has changed my life. It's actually something too that you even see people in scripture do, including this guy named Daniel who we've already talked about. But I actually, here's the thing. I just realized over time, I'm just going to be honest with you, that we say things like what Paul said, that we're, we're to be praying without ceasing, ceasing. And for some of us, that's kind of like an excuse Oh, I'm praying all the time. And the reality is, let's be honest, no, you're not. So we look at Paul and we hear him say, pray without ceasing. And you're like, I'm praying all the time. I I never stop praying. And the reality is, is sometimes with that, when you actually do an introspection of that, we're really not praying at all. One thing that fixed hour prayer does is a few times a day, reorients our heart back to God in the busyness of our day. And I'm telling you, there's people that have practiced, many early church fathers practiced this. 
uh, throughout monasteries. This is a very much a, a practice that in a contemplative life, I think we, we can practice these things even in our contemporary world. And so prayer, first and foremost, and Jesus even models this, before asking for stuff and wanting to get stuff, it's about communion with God. We have a Father who wants to be in communion with us. And I think fixed hour prayer is a great way to engage this, especially uh, in the age of an iPhone. And a, for many of us, especially in our community at practice with young kids and the busyness of life and career, many young professionals and all that, um, fixed hour prayer is actually the daily office is a practice I think everybody should consider engaging and uh, so f- prayer is first and foremost uh, about God. Are you on speaking terms with him? There's actually an app we use for fixed hour prayer as well. I think it's by a guy named Shane Claiborne, if I'm not mistaken. And it will notify your phone and give pre-scripted prayers for the daily office. It's incredible. Like three or four times a day, it will notify you that it's time to pray. But not only that, it gives you scripted prayers from church history that you can actually read aloud to cultivate that prayer life. So prayer is about communion with God. But I'll just say this. If Jesus calls us to pray for his rule and his reign and his will to be done and his kingdom to come here, then yes, our prayer actually changes things. I believe it. If Jesus is, like he does here, is calling us to pray that his will would be done because there are counter wills at play, then absolutely our our prayers change things. And I just think we are called as Jesus followers to contend, to join join God in seeing his kingdom come. And part of that is intercession and joining and contending and praying that his will and asking that his will would be done. And I just believe that, yes, our prayers do, there are, there's a lineage of stories in the, not just in the gospels, in the scripture, all the way through church history and human history since the, the New Testament, where prayer has changed things, where prayer has changed the hand of God. And here's the thing, I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but here's the thing. If everything is fixed, then fine. We might as well just go back to our lives and just let everything happen the way it's going to happen. But I'm sorry. I just believe we live in a world of possibility. I believe it deep down in my bones. And I believe that God is looking for people, yes, of course, to be his hands and feet in the world. Absolutely. But he's also looking, as were the hands and feet of Jesus, he's also looking for people who would contend in prayer. I don't think one has to be diminished for the other. I actually think it's a sweet balance of doing God's will. And as we've talked, even in some of the social justice stuff, looking out for the marginalized and the orphan, the widow and the foreigner. And, you know, the gospel is just so full of instruction for the poor. All of that being the hands and feet of Jesus, but also contending that his will would be done. And my, again, my fear is in the utopia of living in the Western world where, let's be honest, our bellies are full and we're not worried about our next meal or a roof over our head, right? We live pretty comfortably my fear is is that with technology and silicon valley and we have the iphone and all these amazing things i think uh one comedian says you know we take for granted that we sit in a tube in the sky and it gets us from one place to the next like how amazing a world we live in it's incredible and my fear is though is that we think we could bring the kingdom without the king 
And I'm just telling you, a lack of contending and a lack of prayer is a great indicator of that. That we're just going to make things really good here. And I think we're even seeing that now in our, in our day, that that kind of leaves us empty. Our work should never be disconnected um, from asking God to bring his kingdom to come. And so I hope this model of prayer has been helpful. But I'm just telling you, I just believe, we believe as a community that prayer changes things. And we want to be that kind of community that intercedes, stands with people, and believes, and holds on to the hope that Jesus is returning, and we ask him to come quickly to renew all things, because we can't just do it by making things better. We know this, right? Like, we're at a point now where even in some of the beautiful things that we have, even those things can be destructive. We want the kingdom without the king. That is not how this works. And so as a praying community, you know, this week even, uh, depending on when you listen to this, we're praying. We're praying as a community. We set aside a week every fall just to press in. And our prayer is that God would take us deeper as a community in prayer. And I think some of us, as we listen to this, uh, are, are challenged. I know I am at the sometimes the lack of rhythm and the lack of contending. My urgency more to do stuff than spend time with the king. And um, I think we need to think through this. And so maybe you would this week would join us as we pray for some of the things. You can look at our social media outlets to see some of the things that we're praying for. And uh, I think this is a pertinent question. It may not be like the most controversial question in the world. But I do think it ties into a lot of what we're going to be talking about when we talk about politics. Politics does not save the day. Jesus the King saves the day. And we're asking for his kingdom to come. Um, is everything fixed? Uh, you know, as we've talked about this, I don't believe it is. We don't believe it is. And we do believe we live in a world of possibilities where our prayer matters. How our prayers join in with asking God to bring a just society. All of these things work together. And so I hope this has been helpful and this has been foundational for our community over the last little while. And I just want us to be reminded that does our prayers actually, does our prayer actually matter? I think it does. This Sunday, we're going to be talking about creation, evolution, and science. It's going to be great. We'll probably do a little bit of follow-up because it is a pretty intense and thoughtful teaching that we're going to wrestle through. Other than that, friends, have an amazing week. Please join us as we see God's kingdom come and as will be done here in our city as it is in heaven. Grace and peace. We'll talk to you soon.